If you want to go ahead and be turning there, Hebrews chapter 10. We're starting a new series of messages this morning that's going to take us up to through Easter Sunday, actually, up through Easter Sunday, and the title of our series is Faith Is, which isn't a complete thought, right? I don't know how you anticipate that we're going to finish that sentence. The truth is that we could go a lot of different directions there, and that people have gone a lot of different ways throughout history as they've finished that idea. Faith is. Just a few of those ways this morning as we get started and begin to think about what faith is. Um, St. Augustine said, faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Martin Luther said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Helen Keller said, faith is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. Oswald Chambers said, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Different perspectives, different ways to finish that same sentence. And over the next few weeks, next six weeks, we're going to be adding to that list of ways to finish that sentence. We're going to be exploring the Bible as we try to get a clearer picture of what faith is and how it should look in the course of our lives. We're going to look at how faith relates to our love for one another and our forgiveness and how it relates to suffering and ultimately to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So faith is. So we start this morning this series of messages. We start here. Faith is Christ-centered. Faith is Christ-centered. And that is to say that true faith, biblical faith, saving faith is focused and centered on Jesus. And there are other people and ideas and things that are buying for our faith. Absolutely, that's true. But Faith in anything or anyone other than Jesus is not faith like we've been singing about this morning. It's not faith that gives us the joy and the freedom to sing. Faith is Christ-centered, and that means by implication that faith can't be centered or focused on anything or anyone else. And so our faith is not self-centered. It isn't focused on me. The kind of faith we see playing out on the pages of the New Testament in the face of opposition from the religious elites of the day or the political powers in that day. It wasn't grounded in the religious righteousness of individuals or of the believer. Faith that is Christ-centered is faith that is radically unself-centered. And to put it more generally, faith that is Christ-centered is not faith that is centered on any human being at all. Because not only are you and I unable to achieve for ourselves the confidence to stand before a holy God, but the people around you are not able to achieve that for you as well, because they too have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if your faith is centered on another person to satisfy your soul, to sustain your hope, right, then you can have confidence and assurance that they will eventually at some point, let you down. Not because they want to let you down any more than you want to let them down, but because we are not designed to bear that weight. Faith is Christ-centered. And I say that with confidence this morning because of what we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And so let's read that together. Let me just read it for us, and then we'll dive into it. 
Getting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Faith is Christ-centered. As we read through that text, you may have noticed this pattern about halfway through that begins where we see this, let us, let us, let us, these three invitations that we see, which is where we're going to get to this morning. But before we get there, verses 19 through 21 tell us the foundation upon which that is built, that we can't get to living out our faith until we actually have the faith that we're living out, a faith that is centered on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, the therefore that we see there in verses 19 through 21. And it's summarized for us well here with two truths, really, that we would look at as we think about what it means for our faith to be Christ-centered. And the first of those two truths is that Jesus is a better and more effective sacrifice than the Old Testament sacrifices in every way. Verses 19 through 20 said, Therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Because the author of the book of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians in the first century, his arguments throughout the book are filled with these references to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Because he's writing to an audience who had grown up in this religious system where every year, year after year, on the Day of Atonement, a sacrifice was made for the sins of the people. And then the priest, and only the high priest, would take the blood into the most holy place in the temple to atone for the sins of the people before their God. Year after year after year, animals were sacrificed for the sins of the people. It was their tradition. It was the outworking, the living out of their faith in God. And while it's not something that is familiar to us, it's not a practice we're familiar with, it was familiar to them. And so we can relate, I think, at least to the familiarity of what they were doing. There are things that are our traditions, right? Things that we're used to doing, things that shape our faith that we do regularly to, to live out our faith, or just things that we're used to doing in the course of our lives before we come to faith in Jesus. We all love what's familiar, right? Who in here is a big fan of change all the time, right? No hands, okay. Didn't think so, right? None of us like change. We all feel the comfort and the joy of just knowing the familiar the comfort of that, the ease that comes with that. And so like the sacrifices that were offered year after year after year in the temple, whatever our faith was in before it was in Jesus, whether it was ourself or someone else or some idea or an institution, the point of the book of Hebrews is that nothing else can do for us what Jesus can do for us. It's that apart from Christ, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Apart from Christ, we're all separated from God by our sin. And apart from him, there's nothing we can do to fully and finally redeem ourselves and reconcile ourselves to God. But when our faith is Christ-centered, all of that changes. 
We can enter the presence of God with confidence by faith in the blood of Jesus through the sacrifice of his life. Jesus has opened a new way for us to come before God, a way that is free from the guilt and shame of our sin, a way that's focused on what Jesus has done for us and not what we are able to do for ourselves. Listen to Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single sacrifice for all time. And now Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father, having accomplished the work of securing our salvation. Faith is Christ. Okay, Siri thought I was talking to her. Faith is centered on Jesus, the once and for all time sacrifice for our sins. And faith is Christ-centered because in Jesus, we also, it tells us, have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God. This imagery of the temple continues here. It was started back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, where the author told us that the house of God is not a building constructed of stone and wood. Hebrews 3, 6 says, we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. If we believe, if we endure, if we're hanging on to Jesus, then we are the house of God. And Jesus is our great priest who enters the presence of God to make atonement for our sins. The priests of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, they were sinners themselves. Just like us, in need of atonement. And their time as priests, it was limited because their lifetime was limited. But Jesus is a priest who is holy and innocent, unstained and exalted. He has been made priest permanently because he lives forever. And so if the sacrifice of Jesus points us to the ability of Christ to save us from our sin, then the priesthood of Jesus points us to the fact that he is able to save us from our sins forever. Our faith is Christ-centered. Our faith, our trust, our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in anyone around us. It's not in clever arguments or our ability to make sense of everything going on around us, although it's not opposed to things around us making sense, but our faith isn't in our ability to try to look and piece everything together and understand exactly what's always going on around us. Our faith is in the one who sees it all and who is working it all together for our good. So our faith is Christ-centered, and in our faith, we see this morning that Christ extends to us three invitations. Three invitations that he extends to us this morning, those let us phrases that we saw there in our passage. But before we get there, I do need to extend another invitation to you this morning. Because you might be here today and have never placed your faith in Jesus for the first time. You've never experienced the hope and the joy and the salvation that we're talking about here that we see laid out in this passage. And so let me just first invite you to trust in Jesus. Because each and every one of us in this room is in need of Jesus to save us. Because each of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. No matter how much meat we might want it to be so, we are not, we will not ever be able to pay the price of our redemption. Which makes it all the more beautiful that God sent his son 
The God against whom we have sinned sent his son to lay down his life as our sacrifice, to be our priest, to bring us into his presence, to invite us into his family if we trust in him. We can be with him and have eternal life with him, both abundant life now and life with him forever. And so if you've never accepted Jesus' invitation to trust him and to follow him, today he's inviting you to do that. And you can do that right now turning your heart from whatever it is you've been trusting in, whatever it is you've been following, to trusting and following Jesus. And if you're making that commitment right now where you sit in your heart, then we would love to talk more with you about what that means and help you in that journey as you made that decision. We can talk to you after the service about that this morning. So that's our first invitation that's really there in our passage. If faith is Christ-centered, then our first invitation is to trust in Jesus. But then these three that we see here laid out for those who are trusting in Jesus, those who have followed him. First one is this, draw near to God. Verse 22 invites us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Disciple of Jesus this morning, if Christ has today at the cost of his own blood and his own life made a way for us, to enter the presence of God with confidence, then accepting his invitation this morning to draw near to God is the only thing that makes sense for us to do. In Jesus, you are invited to draw near to God with full assurance, full assurance that flows from our hearts, being entrusted to Jesus who washes our consciences clean, he says. It's the full assurance that flows from the purifying work of Jesus in our lives by which we are made clean. The same work that's pictured in our baptism where we put to death our sinful way of life and we are raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus. And this may seem obvious, right? It may seem like an unnecessary invitation for the text here in Hebrews to to offer to us if we've already trusted in Jesus. But think about the course of your life, maybe even about the way you entered this time of worship this morning or how you participated up to this point. The truth is that some of you even this morning walked into this room and all of us at some point, not with confidence and full assurance, but with fear and trepidation. Because you know in your heart or you believe in your heart something that you're convinced nobody else knows that you have really messed up so much that you don't belong here. The things you think, the things you've said, the things you've done. You walk in as if it's only a matter of time before everyone else, like the band stops and everyone sees you for who you are, the imposter that you really are. And so instead of drawing near to God, our guilt, our shame holds us back. We keep our distance. We keep God at arm's length, believing that God is disappointed with us or angry with us. Instead of singing with joy and freedom, our singing is stifled by the weight of shame and self-consciousness. The invitation is here this morning because we can, in fact, know that Jesus has made a way for us to enter the presence of God without actually following Jesus boldly into the presence of God, whether it is something going on in our lives that causes us to question or to doubt that keeps us keeping God at arm's length, whatever it is. But for every believer in Jesus who lives in this broken world, we know there will be moments and there will be seasons when we're more conscious of, our, conscious of our past sins or just more aware of the things and troubles that are going on around us than we are of the presence of God. And those are moments when we need to hear this invitation that is here in Hebrews chapter 10 to 
draw near with a true heart in full assurance. See, the belief that our sin, our shame prevent us from drawing near to God or the idea that the struggles that we're walking through in our lives, that those are reason for us to take a step back from our God, to take a step back from our faith. The problem with those is when we do that, we're believing a lot. By all means, if it was up to me to atone for my sins, then God's posture toward me would not be one of invitation. It would not be one of welcoming me in and inviting me into his presence on a daily basis. But it isn't left up to me. It's not left up to us. Our standing before God, our ability to draw near to him isn't determined by our record of righteousness or even by the strength of our faith at any given moment as we walk through a difficult trial in our lives. The power of Christ-centered faith is that Christ is never changing, that he has risen from the grave and that he sits at the right hand of God the Father even to this day and for all of eternity. And so it's self-focused faith that walks into worship with the fear of my need for grace being revealed. The Christ-centered faith walks into worship with the assurance that God's grace will be revealed to us with the freedom to confess my need. And that's true not just when we come to worship together as a congregation. If you're a follower of Jesus, then it's true in our personal walk with the Lord as well. The penalty for our sins has been paid. The power of our sin is broken. Yes, we've sinned, but we don't believe the lie that we're the only one that knows it. Right? That's part of what the enemy will do to us to keep, our, keep us from confessing our sin, to keep us from drawing near to God. He will convince us that we're the only one who has a need for God's grace, that we're the only one who's struggling, that we're the only one who needs to confess and draw near to God. But as you look around this morning, we're all in the same boat. Right? Nobody here this morning would be surprised to learn that you're not perfect. We all need Jesus, and we all come before our God in the same way, through the same way, the way made by his sacrifice. And so we don't let the sins that Jesus already washed away hold us back from a closer walk with God, the relationship that we were made for. Jesus died to restore our fellowship with God, and so we draw near to him. We enjoy our God. We walk in the freedom that Jesus has secured for us. And so I don't know exactly how this invitation to draw near to God needs to play out in your life this morning. I don't know exactly how it's going to look for you to accept this invitation, but I know that God doesn't want you at arm's length. He's inviting you closer to him. Take whatever step that is in your, in your faith. So the first invitation built on the foundation of our Christ-centered faith is to draw near to God. Second is to hold fast to hope. Verse 23 invites us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We draw near to God as brothers and sisters who have confessed this hope that Jesus has made a way for us to live with God forever, and yet we draw near to God confessing that there are times in this life when our faith is tested, times when relationships fall apart, times when the pressures of life weigh us down, times when mental and physical and emotional burdens bring us to our knees, times when it seems difficult to go on, times we desperately need hope, and hope that isn't just wishful thinking, 
Hope that is rooted firmly in reality, even when that reality is invisible to us in the moment. And many of the quotes that we read about faith earlier were echoing this truth that we read in Hebrews 11, verse 1. that says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we think about hope this morning. All hope is not created equal. I can hope this morning with all my heart that Kentucky will make it to the Final Four this year. <laughs> not going to make it happen. It's just wishful thinking. But the hope we have in Jesus, that is hope that is certain. The hope that we will be with God forever, though it is unseen to us right now, it is already settled in heaven. And so that's hope we can hold Onto. In a world filled with darkness and disease and death, we're invited to hold fast to hope because holding fast to hope is critical to our endurance in the faith. And that's what Hebrews is ultimately about, this whole book. The author knows that in the midst of the darkness of this world, the attacks that we face, there will come promises of hope that are distinct from the hope of Jesus. There will be the promises of pleasure and power and prosperity, to name just a few. And though it might not happen all at once, the author knows that when we grasp at those other promises, our grip on Christ might loosen just one finger at a time until what we're holding on to is no longer Jesus at all. And so he implores us, invites us here, hold fast to the hope you have in Christ to the only one who is unchanging in a world where everything is constantly shifting around us. Hold fast, because pleasure, power, and prosperity can't keep their promises. There is only one who is always faithful. Only one who is able to see you through any storm that comes. I love the song that was written a few years ago by Matt Boswell and Matt Poppa. It's called Christ, the Sure and Steady Anchor. Some of the verses of that, that song say, Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt flow through me and my sails have all been torn, and the suffering and the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Christ, the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief, hopeless somehow, O oh my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance, see his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. We hold fast to the hope we have in Christ so that we endure in our faith and so that we bear witness to the world. The world is watching right, to see if we, as those who have confessed our hope in Jesus, will hold fast to our confession when trouble comes, when storms come our way. Or will our lives, will our actions actually wind up telling a different story than the story of Jesus? Is Christ the sure and steady anchor of our lives? Hold fast to hope without wavering. Without wavering. That doesn't mean that doubts won't arise and that questions won't come, that at moments in our lives the struggles won't seem to be winning out. Because we looked last fall at the stories of many from the Old Testament, many of those who are listed here in Hebrews chapter 11 as examples of faith. And we know their lives were not perfect, right? Their faith was not always strong, but the one in whom they trusted was always strong. And he's always perfect. And so when it's all settled, 
I pray that we will still be holding on to Jesus, that our lives will be witness to others, that he who has made promises to us in Jesus, that he is faithful. Three invitations. Draw near to God, hold fast to hope. The third this morning, consider others. Consider others. Verses 24 and 25 invite us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Each of these invitations has been issued in the plural. Verse 19 was addressed to brothers as it started out this section. There's been this acknowledgement throughout this passage that our faith, it forms us into a family. But now, what's been implied becomes more direct. We're told, consider others. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Right? Which sometimes we just read that first part. Right? Let's consider how to stir one another up. Right? We're pretty good at times at getting under each other's skin, stirring other people up. Right? Sometimes we enjoy it. Sometimes it's just maybe our love language to get on people's nerves and to see if we can get a reaction out of them. Right? But that's not exactly what we're being called to here in the book of Hebrews. Stir up one another to love and good works. That we would actually spend time, right, serious time, plotting and planning and thinking about how we can encourage someone around us to live out the love of Jesus and to serve the people around them. Where I'm actually like looking to the person to my right and to my left. How can I help this person want to serve others more consistently? And we're going to explore this a little more in the weeks to come. And so I won't spend a whole lot of time here today on how we live out our faith and love others in that way. But this morning I just ask you to consider, as I have, as I have studied this passage this week, how much time do you spend considering how to stir others up to love and good works? Is it a little? A lot? None at all? Because as with drawing near to God and holding fast to hope, thinking more about others and less about ourselves is the natural outworking of Christ-centered faith. The invitation ties our consideration of others here in this passage to our gathering together for worship. It lays out these alternatives of neglecting to meet together and encouraging one another. Right? The alternatives aren't neglecting to meet together and just showing up to see what we can get out of our time together as we gather together for worship. But the alternatives are neglecting to meet together and encouraging one another, which cuts to the heart, I think, of our consumeristic approach to church many times in our day and in our nation. How many of us this morning, if we were honest, would say we've ever left church thinking, not sure I really got anything out of that today? If we're honest, we would maybe all confess to that this morning. But what if a better question in light of this passage is instead of, did I get anything out of that today? What if a better question is, who can I encourage today? And instead of thinking more of others, encouraging others, it's the natural outworking of our Christ-centered faith, right? And so a couple reasons for that. First is when we're free from the belief that our standing before God is tied to our religious achievement, then we won't view those around us as 
rivals or you know, a, a sibling rivalry where we're trying to look better and appear better than those around us. We'll look at one another as brothers and sisters in the family who need encouragement to see their faith through. But the second reason is this, that it's what Christ has done for us. Right? Christ has considered us before he considered himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has shown us what it looks like to consider others before ourselves. And he's inviting us to follow his lead. So this morning, are you considering others or only yourself. Even the sense of urgency here, as verse 25 concludes, is Christ-centered. Told the day is drawing near. Day is drawing near when Christ will return. I said before that I don't like running. I don't know how many runners we've got in the congregation this morning, but I don't like running mainly because it hurts. It doesn't take very long, but that's, that's my problem. But I have run one 5K in my life and stood at the finish line of many others as my dad finished and my brother ran um, back in high school. And so in running, I have observed this to be true, although without much experience. Um, but I did ask some others this week who had more experience than me and they said, yeah, that sounds, that sounds true to our experience, right? Oh, y'all are being too still. This morning the lights have gone out on us. Okay. So... We found this to, I found this to be true, though, that the finish line is an encourager when we're running. One, because I can't keep running forever, but if I can see that I'm running to that line right over there, then I can make it over there. Right? The finish line is an encourager. The day is drawing near. But also, the finish line is an encourager because... There await friends and family and strangers there to encourage. Fellow runners who have already finished the race, who stand there as a testimony that this can be done, that we can finish strong, that we can run this race, and that we can endure to the end. There is energy that comes from that encouragement that we don't have just running on our own. And so we're called here to consider others, consider how we can stir one another up and encourage one another to love and good works. Faith is Christ-centered. Faith is Christ-centered. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He's our great priest who has secured salvation for us, secured access to the presence of God. This morning I would ask you, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? If not, Jesus is inviting you today to trust in him to receive the forgiveness of your sins. He's inviting you into the presence of God, into a relationship with the God who made you this morning. Will you receive his invitation? And if you have received that invitation this morning, then faith extends to you 
three more invitations this morning. Will you draw near to your God? What is it that's holding you back from drawing near to him in your walk with him? Whatever it is this morning, would you lay it down today? God's desire is that you would draw near to him. Will you hold fast this morning to the hope that you have in Jesus? Our lives are scattered with broken promises, with difficulties, with trials, with storms. But the promises of any other hope, those broken promises, none of those promises were made by our God. He is always faithful to his word. He always keeps his promises. He will see us through and we will be with him forever. And so he invites us to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus because Jesus will hold on to us. And then final invitation, will you consider others today? Jesus has given his life for us. And so will you accept his invitation to follow his example, to think more of those around you, to spend time planning and looking and encouraging others to draw near to God and to serve others. Before this day is over, I just ask you to consider this. Who can you encourage today? And how can you encourage them? Send a text, make a call, talk to somebody before you leave this room. Who can you encourage today to stir them on to love and good works? Let's pray together. Father, today we, we come before you God, with the full assurance of faith, knowing that Jesus' blood has been shed so that we have access to, to your presence this morning. Not with, not with fear or with, with shame, Lord, but with confidence and, and the assurance that comes with knowing your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, we don't come, that doesn't mean we come with pride or with arrogance, God, but we come with faith that Jesus has, has invited us, that we are not uninvited guests in your family, but those that you have called, those that you have, who have, you have redeemed, that you have reconciled to yourself, Lord. So we pray, Lord, help us today to put down whatever it is that's holding us back and to draw near to you, Lord. Help us to hold fast to the hope that we have. Help us to hold fast to Jesus, trusting that you are faithful to hold on to us, God. And help us, Lord, this morning in that freedom that comes with Christ to look to those around us, to consider every time we gather together how can I encourage someone around me today? Lord, today as you have spoken to us through your word, Lord, I pray that you would that you would draw each of us to respond obediently to your call, Lord, whatever it is that you're asking us to do, that you would be honored as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.